understanding what diversity means and your campus or your interest on your team will help really fight those particular biases when it comes to looking at the candidates who are coming across maybe your table. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of World Strides inaugural podcast, Changing Lives Through Education Abroad, a weekly series of conversations with international education's most interesting thought leaders, as well as discussions on emerging trends, best practices, and innovation happening in our field. I'm your host, Zach McInnes, Senior Director of Campus Partnerships with World Strides, and I can barely contain my excitement for this week's episode. The topic we're delving into today is crucial. As our listeners may know, this podcast has explored some of the various strategies and innovative approaches the many luminaries in our field are taking to advance the collective dream that all of us share in international education, making study abroad possible for all students. However, as practitioners in our field will surely know, despite the significant advances in recent years, study abroad participants remain disproportionately white, female, and upper class. So today, we're going to adjust the lens on this topic just a little bit and explore what leaders in education abroad can do to not only advance the number, but advance the diversification of our study abroad participants. How should we be thinking about staffing, hiring, and other leadership decisions with the context of this goal in mind? I can't imagine a better person to help us unpack this topic than Dr. Carolina Robinson, Director of Education Abroad at the University of Alabama. Carolina is a true powerhouse in international education and perhaps one of the leaders I look up to most in our field. Seriously though, listeners, I want to be Carolina when I grow up. To all our listeners out there, this is an episode you'll want to bookmark and share. Carolina is here to shed light on intentional diversification of both our field and our students, combating biases in the hiring process and ensuring students of all backgrounds see a future for themselves in study abroad programs. Stay tuned, listeners. You do not want to miss this episode. Dr. Carolina Robinson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. What a wonderful, beautiful introduction. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) Big shoes to fill, but Uh, thank you, Zach. I'm uh, so excited to be here. Absolutely. And I'm so excited for this conversation. Could you start by describing your professional journey up to this point, Carolina? Yeah, absolutely. I I am one of those in the field that uh, didn't intend to be in the field when I started. I actually uh, originally from Columbia, South America, but um, grew up in Maryland outside of DC, was was a swimmer. And I'll tell you why being a swimmer was important. I used to swim uh, locally um, in my club, but I used to also swim for the Colombian national team. So I went to Clemson as an undergrad on a swimming scholarship never studied abroad while I was there. But I did have the opportunity to swim for Columbia, which meant that I was leaving actually high school and college and visiting my teammates all around Central and South America. Finished up with a computer science degree, ended up joining the workforce in education back in Maryland. We moved back to Clemson and um, there was this job opening that basically said, hey, can you work with other diverse people? Are you organized? Are you interested in traveling and studying abroad? And that's how I really got in the field. So I am a study abroad director who's never really intentionally studied abroad. 
but have always had travel and international opportunity and moments um, throughout my life. So that's where I am. Thank you for sharing that with us today. And, you know, you're the leader of education abroad at the University of Alabama. So in order to give our listeners some context, could you share a bit about what the ecosystem of study abroad looks like at Alabama? Absolutely. I am starting my 10th year at the University of Alabama. I think we are in a really special place. Study abroad is important to many different levels of campus. So we actually have it as part of our strategic plan where we want to have our students to be in international experiences. We have a, I would say, grassroots student interest in studying abroad. And we have deans and department chairs and faculty leaders across campus who also believe it's important. So in the past 10 years, we've been able to kind of double our numbers for what we were doing with study abroad. And every year we've got brand new faculty-led programs and interested, um, just a lot of energy, I think, around study abroad on our campus. That's great. I thank you for sharing that journey with us. You and I have talked about this before, but we can best serve and lead our students when they can see themselves reflected in the makeup of our professional field and of the faculty that teach. I know you've been really intentional about this in your leadership role at the University of Alabama. What does this look like for you? I mean, I think that word is just really important, intentional. This is something that we believe in. Our office, our team, as I like to call them, it's not our staff, it's our team. We really believe that we have to increase the diversity of students who go abroad. We need to make study abroad accessible across campus. We need to be very inclusive with all parts of our efforts. And, you know, I'd like to say first that I'm really lucky that our team has this shared mission, right? I'm not this person who's toting this flag and having to convince people in our office that this is important. We all believe it's important. And it starts from every new person that we bring into our office, right? We um, are asking students and actually uh, full-time employees from the first interview, we ask them a question about diversity. So I think just really intentionally um, thinking about it, talking about it, and trying to move within whatever that looks like on your campus is what makes us, you know, have had some success in the past. For our listeners who may be in positions where they can have agency in the hiring process, what are some tips that you could share to prioritize an equitable search and one where there are candidates of diverse backgrounds to consider? That's a great question. And I'm going to stand here and, and you know, let you know that I do not um, claim to be an expert in, in hiring process or to have developed kind of a new or innovative you know, examples there, I really try to follow the advice of the experts out there, you know, when it comes from inclusive language in your job descriptions, uh, making sure that your postings are kind of as far wide as you can, and trying to get kind of that particular message out. But I, I think one thing that we particularly do is just add the human element. Zach, we're not afraid to uh, make sure a one particular person that we know on our campus gets this job posting, right? Um, Or I'm not afraid to go up to an academic advisor from another college and say, hey, I've heard some great things about you. Whenever we have an opening in education abroad, I'm going to make sure that you are the first to know, 
right? That human element is really important. And I think that's the part that, that we like to do differently. You know, you and I are both hiring managers. And, and we know that as hiring managers, sometimes we can be drawn to candidates that are similar to us, right? How can we actively combat the implicit biases and affinity biases in the search process? What we like to do is um, really have an understanding of what diversity looks like on our campus, right? I think at the Education Abroad office, we're interested in sending all students abroad. That means including racial or ethnic minorities that might be underrepresented including people from the LGBTQIA community and make sure that they're represented. I myself was a Pell Grant student, right? And I had very high financial need when I was in college. And so connecting with um, those first-gen offices or a program that we have on our campus called the REACH program, like we, we are doing that particular work in partnership with those offices and with those connections. So I think understanding what diversity means and your campus or your interest on your team will help really fight those particular biases when it comes to looking at the candidates who are coming across maybe your table. You know, it's, it, it's difficult. If you are like me who work at a state institution, you know, hiring goes through a channel before they get to us, right? It goes and it's reviewed by HR. So it's important to have those conversations, even with the HR, kind of the gatekeepers of your office Mm -hmm. and saying, and your institution saying, hey, I want to see all of the candidates. Like, I understand you're really stressed out and worried that you're about to send me a hundred. I'd rather look at the hundred. Show me what's out there and let us be the judge and the candidates to decide who we want to wean down from there. And I think that partnership with HR is, is a really important piece, and I'm so glad you touched on it. What other elements of a search have you seen or enacted to make the process stand out as truly exemplary? In other words, how can we all make our next search better? Yeah, I mean, I, I really can't um, stress kind of coming back to this human element. And I like to say this on our campus Either we, when we hire, we have this one simple rule. Either we have somebody that knows about the University of Alabama and we can essentially teach them about study abroad, or Mm. we have somebody who we're bringing in from outside Alabama who has a study abroad kind of knowledge, but they don't know about the University of Alabama and we can teach them. It's really hard to find somebody who is new to the field and new to Alabama. You know, one of the things, as I mentioned, is like there, there's just a lot of connection that I do. I've got a lot of side group me chats that I am with, with professionals across the country with study abroad. Um, our SEC, the Southeastern Conference is really connected. Our, our um, directors are, and there aren't any times when we have a search that we're not sharing amongst ourselves. Do Hey, you know, Hey, Arkansas, do you have a recent student or a grad that you love? Or Hey, Florida, you know, what do you guys have? So there's a lot of kind of human connection there, but also that human connection in our campus, right? Walking around and seeing these academic advisors who are honed in on the academics on campus, who know what that BAMA experience could look like, who are big supporters of study abroad, but they've never worked in that field. I'm like, I can teach you how to do this, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So it really does, that that human connection is so important, you know? 
I, and I love what you're saying about putting the putting the human back in back in HR and the hiring. <laughs> putting process. the human back in HR. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so so many of us, including myself, are are in this field because we want to change lives and create pathways for students to access opportunities. Mm-hmm. Do you have any testimonials or stories um, you can share where a diverse advising team made a significant difference in a student's decision to study abroad? Yeah, I would say this is kind of an easy question. Um, We had a uh, business advisor who was teaching a freshman class and she would always invite an education abroad advisor to come in and talk to her class. And so, you know, we would have somebody from our office come and do our little normal spiel. Um, Our team would leave and she would ask her class, hey, well, who's still interested in study abroad? And she said nine times out of 10, they were kind of speaking about study abroad as an impossibility. And she wanted to do something about it. So she came to our office, got some information, um, teamed up, and we kind of created a proposal that she wanted to develop a study abroad program for a freshman business student on global um, explorations of kind of global fields in, in study abroad. And she did. Um, this was something that was going to be developed and focused for students of in, who were in-state, so in-state Alabama, um, preference to like students who'd never been abroad before, Pell Grant students, right, high financial need. What was so great about this proposal is that she took it to her associate dean, and her associate dean, um, number one, loved it, and number two, kind of challenged his um, donors to fund this experience, so the next step happened is that one of those lead funders, one of those lead alumni donors said, hey, I was from a small town in Alabama. I had never studied abroad. I was a Pell Grant student back when I went to Alabama 40 years ago. This is now my personal mission. And so we have this study abroad program that goes to Panama for freshman business students. I would say 60% of the group um, are students of color. None of them have ever been abroad. And what's so unique about this experience is that donor, actually, he is a managing director of a very large investment firm, but has spent 40 years working in Latin America. He travels with our students and goes down and spends two days with them, introducing them to all of his contacts and giving them a really kind of great um, introduction to kind of global business. And that to me, well was exceptional what this one business advisor did. And then we ended up hiring her in our office, right? So back to that human connection, back to that, wow, I see what you're doing in your office. Let's see how we can team up. And I don't know many study abroad programs where, you know, gentlemen who are these high positions in these offices are leaving for two or three days and meeting freshmen abroad, right? And connecting back to campus. It's, it's a really unique program. One of the outcomes we hope for and aim for in higher education is for students to feel a sense of belonging at their university and in the world. How can we measure and take steps to improve in this area as international educators? One way that we do that is to really focus on that student life cycle and that that student life cycle kind of is aligned to the hopes and the goals and the dreams that we're trying to do. I know in our office, we are constantly checking ourselves to see um, how we are trying to overcome barriers of entry and study abroad. That may look like us looking at our application process, um, looking how we do advising annually, 
that looks like us um, trying to get new donors for scholarships or, you know, even applying for grants like we were one of the recipients of the IAE passport grants this year, right? Finding opportunities to break down barriers of entry. It also means, you know, the sense of belonging is a high impact practice in faculty-led programs. They have a sense of, of connecting students to the university in ways that are extremely unique. And so we want to make sure our faculty-led directors are also trained, also understand importance of diversity, equity, inclusion, also understand the importance of student dynamics and student groups, understanding the types of students. Like the Alabama student, we might have a student who's very high, affluent, maybe out of state, you know, right next to a student who is from a very small rural town in the state of Alabama where their high school had no AP classes, right? These students might make up and might be standing right next to each other on a study abroad program. And so making sure that our, our faculty who lead these programs are kind of trained on that, but kind of continuing to that life cycle and, and kind of bringing in world strides, you know, we can't do these programs alone. And we have to partner with organizations like you all to help lead the charge of international education on our campus. But I think that what we can also do is kind of be aligned with your hopes and world strides kind of corporate responsibility on accessibility and commitment and diversity. And, and we continue to ask questions about, you know, Hey, if we're taking a group of diverse students, where, you know, where do you guys think that they're, they should be placed or what kind of training are you guys doing with your on-site staff and your, maybe your staff abroad? Like these are just constant conversations that are happening. I love what you're getting on. It's a true partnership with not only your faculty leaders, but with your, with your partners like World Strides. And I think that's exactly. great. Carolina, I would love to hear your take on the composition of the practitioners in our field and how we see that reflected, or perhaps not, in participation rates across student groups. Whew, that, one, that one's a tricky one, right? And I think it's tricky because of the pandemic, right? We saw our industry take one of the largest hits across really all industries when it came to our workforce, right? There were organizations that were losing 60 and 70% of their workforce because, you know, mobility came to a halt. Um, and so we're kind of at a, at a time where you see a lot of companies kind of building back with a vengeance. I hope that companies and organizations and universities are taking this opportunity to increase the diversity of their workforce. Um, and I do feel like some of that is happening, but um, I think you and I have had this conversation that we just can't expect it to happen. We really have to be intentional. And so this is was an idea that I've always had about kind of a pipeline, right? If we can tap into universities that are focused on really diverse student um, hiring processes. Like at our University of Alabama, our student workers are a pretty diverse group. And I always would tout them to our program providers saying, hey, if a kid is working at the University of Alabama for a year or two, you would know that they have a really great understanding of how study abroad would work on a higher ed campus. Why not take these opportunities and hire these students in the summertime on your provider programs that need the help. You might be expecting, I don't know, a thousand kids to all land in Rome, and you probably need some people to come and help. Hire our students so that our students now will have maybe 
a, a sense of an internship of a provider and what it takes to look like on the provider side. And so when they kind of come out and they finish at the University of Alabama, well, number one, we only hire student alums of study abroad. So they have themselves have had an experience of study abroad. They have a year or two of study abroad experience working in our office. They may have a summer working abroad with a provider. Now we're flooding the field with diverse uh, people. So we have to be intentional about kind of building this pipeline. You know, I love what you said about the pipeline. You know, those of us that providers like World Strides are often in a position to be able to bring on, you know, those early career professionals mm-hmm. in our field, right? I'm, I'm thinking about our World Strides internship program. So I, I would encourage like all of our listeners today, if, if you have that superstar student who's working in your office, who participated in an education abroad program, and who wants to be a part of our field, is to reach out to World Strides and to your other, other provider partners. Uh, and let us know about that superstar so we can, as Carolina said, you know, build that pipeline together. Exactly. Because we're seeing, I mean, at, at, Zach, at the University of Alabama, there isn't um, a kind of international education major, right? I mean, there's international studies and there, there's things like that, but there isn't a, a, a major that's focused on our field. And so after students get in, involved in our office, they're like, hey, I could see myself doing this in the future. Um, and so we would love to kind of continue to kind of build and be very intentional about building up the pipeline of diverse um, employees out there. Digging in a bit deeper here, why is visual rhetoric important and how can we be mindful, proactive and thoughtful about how we depict study abroad and who belongs on programs to our students? Gosh, I, I, I couldn't um, agree with you more that visual rhetoric is important. We need, well, let's just say this. I can't tell you how many times I surprise students when I come up to them and say, you know, I've been to 30 countries around this world. And they look at me and they're like, well, you're a black female? Like, you know, you also are a Pell Grant student and you've been to 30 countries? I'm like, yeah, you totally can do it. You know, let me tell you how. And just seeing themselves um, expanding their exposure of what kind of study abroad looks like, um, I think it's really important. And I think it's also important, though, Zach, that we have to be honest with that representation, right? And we, we try to do that with setting expectations, right? You can't have an Instagram feed full of diverse students and then they go abroad and they're not seeing that represented, it's important to have that balance. But I I think it's also important that um, the conversation that I have with a lot of students is, you will be surprised what your, um, how you identify self or how you thought you identified yourself and how that changes abroad. You might look one way in the Western side of Alabama, but if I lift you up and I take you to South Africa, the identities that you thought were at your forefront in Alabama aren't those. You might be seen as an American first before you're seen, you know, as a student of color. And so we have those conversations with our students and just kind of prepare them with with all of that. So I think it's a it's a great balance to have. You want to have representation, but you want, want to have truth and honesty as well. In any given workplace environment, there are those of us who are closer to the inner circle and decision-making than others. How can we as professionals lift each other up as well as engage in advocacy for ourselves and our colleagues to have a seat at that leadership level? Partnership is really important. 
at least in my team and my office, we are open to new ideas. We even tell our students, we, we tell them like, hey, if you see a change in one of our events, or if you think that our study abroad fair is the worst ever, and you have this greater idea, we're open to listen to it, right? So, so we have that kind of openness to understand that that information can come from anywhere, great ideas can come from anywhere. But I think partnership is important because partnership will get you connected to um, the ideas and the truths that exist out there. For instance, we work with our diversity, equity, and inclusion office on our campus, right? We work with our first gen office on our campus. Those offices are those experts in our fields. And so if somebody has a great idea that they want to reach a specific group of students, let's partner with that office. And they, they, the, the strength of your proposal and your strength of your idea, right, is, is stronger, right? Is, um, you have the ability to really move people to help them understand or help help us as an office understand why we need to be moving in a certain direction. So it really just takes that time, that proposal, that the idea generation, that partnering, you know, starting those conversations and really kind of helping us understand why why this is important. I think that 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 might be one way that you can kind of advocate for different different things. How can leaders foster an inclusive environment? Uh, that allows an advising team of all backgrounds to flourish. One thing that I like to say in my office is that, hey, we hang out with us in the study abroad office more hours of the week than we do with our own family members at some times. And so we talk about the big thing at the University of Alabama within our students and our faculty and staff is family, right? We say those words. But I, I think our education abroad office ourselves, we also see ourselves as a family. So there's times that we work and then there's times and we play. And those things have to be kind of connected to. And so um, while that's, a, it, it seems silly, it, it kind of helps you understand ourselves and maybe our experiences that we bring and our backgrounds that we bring to the table. For instance, this summer, when it's a little bit quieter in our office, we have something called, I can't remember what we were calling, we were calling it Fun Wednesdays, right? And so one thing that we did one Wednesday is we had a spades tournament. And we had four different teams of just kind of playing cards and why spades like it, it allowed people to explain like why spades were so important to their family. So important um, to their background. Even my kids who were uh, 16 and uh, 10 years old at the time came in and, and other people in our office were surprised that my kids were playing spades since, since they were little. I'm like, yeah, because it's part of kind of my culture. Right. And so it, the, the play times really, kind of let those little interesting tidbits of background come in and help you kind of communicate and, and keep that family sound even when those hard, stressful times of work happen. There are times when we work and there are times when we play. Exactly. I love it. <laughs> Where do you see the composition of study abroad students and our teams in the next five to 10 years? Where are we headed? Gosh, um, I wish I knew. I wish I knew where we were headed, but I think one thing that I'm looking and I could speak, let's say at the university of Alabama, um, we are, have almost the largest enrollment that we've ever had. We're close to now 40,000 students. 
we have the largest representation of ethnic and racial diversity that we've ever had before. So at least on our campus, that shows me that we have an opportunity to increase our study abroad representation and what what that particularly looks like on our campus. Um, We have 40% of our students this year, so over 550 students had never left the country. So that, you know, gets me knowing that there's a real interest in, you know, getting out there. One thing I would say that worries me about the field right now is that kind of the locations where we're opening. We're seeing a lot of programs opening back in Western Europe, potentially Eastern Europe, and less programs um, opening in Central South America, you know, in the more non-traditional locations. And that's one thing that I, I am on a couple of boards and I kind of ask those boards, those provider boards, I'm like, hey, what are we get, What are we doing? We have to be part of the narrative to bring back this mobility to locations that aren't easy because our students need that. Our students need to be pushed to go to those locations that are outside of where we've been going for the past 150 years, right? So that's just my hope is that, you know, we are still promoting locations and offering opportunities and resources and helping locations in Central South America and Africa and Asia kind of build back um, from the pause that happened during COVID. You know, that's a, an, an anxiety that I, that I share with you, you know, as someone who studied abroad himself in, in Peru and, and Mexico, you know, my formative experiences were in Latin America. And, and it's a region that I couldn't love more um, right. for study abroad and for other reasons. And, you know, um, I'm, it gives me concern that the students of today aren't as interested in, you know, global South locations such as, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa, yeah. Latin America, Southeast Asia. What is your take on that? I don't know. I, I think, number one, fear. I would say fear kind of still exists. I think, number two, the the realities of some of these locations just haven't bounced back as fast as others, right, during the pandemic. But number three, I think we need to be pushing and not in a bad way, but expanding our students and reminding them that these locations are still important, right, are still places where uh, our students need to be. Actually, this past year, we had five faculty-led programs all run um, in the continent of Africa. That is the most that we've ever had. But it took a lot of work from our office, a lot of work from faculty directors, a lot of work from students kind of trusting that process and our providers on the ground to support that. And so I just think that these are just conversations that we need to continue to have, right? Anytime, Zach, that me and you can get in front of a table and say, hey, right? You say, Peru <laughs> is still important. Mexico is still important. We just need to be vocal about that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so well said. For institutions who are just beginning their journey towards an intentionality about the composition of their education abroad advising teams, what would be your top piece of advice? How can folks get started on this process? I don't think that you have to do everything alone by yourself. Um, I really kind of tap into this idea of partnership and idea of kind of checking in with your network. There are, as I mentioned, there are great institutions that are very similar to, to the University of Alabama across the SEC that I have some very intentional conversations with. 
But I also tap into a lot of the Alabama community colleges across our state who are trying to be very intentional, number one, about their advising teams, and number two, about the students that they are also sending abroad. And so we get on phone calls and have conversations about, hey, what has worked on your campus? What hasn't worked on your campus? Tell me about something that you're doing. And and there's learning that happens both ways, right? So I, I think just doing something is important. Doing one thing, I'm, I'm always, I always have this belief of, hey, let's take this big complex problem, put it down into little sections and just starting, starting on the first one. And if that start means you're calling your partner in your network and you're saying, hey, I love the composition of your advising office. What are things that you're doing that I can implement at my institution here? That, that starts intentionality, right? I love that idea of, of breaking down these daunting tasks and, and to just do one thing today. And, and that's a good way to move us forward. Exactly. Really good advice. How can individual staff members, regardless of their level or role, contribute to the larger goal of diversifying the study abroad experience? So there are some things that um, we have had in the past ideas that have come directly from the advisors, um, kind of back to that simple starting on the one thing, right? So one thing that we do is that we leave our office and we advise in various locations across campus. We have a pop-in at our Intercultural Diversity Center on campus. We used to be at the Black Student Union. We often go to um, our location where um, our safe zone, which is the community of LGBTQIA students, and we make sure that with their permission, right, with those organizations' permissions, we are making ourselves um, available in those particular locations. So that's one thing that has been an advisor kind of mention. Another thing that has been an advisor mention is they said, okay, we have a weekly staff team meeting. And so this week, or maybe once a month, we're going to all read an article from Diversity Abroad, or from NAFSA, or from the Chronicle about diversity and how it relates to higher ed. That has been also kind of an idea that somebody has mentioned and talked about, or read a chapter of a book. And let's talk about this. Like, what what are our implicit biases? We, we actually have those particular conversations um, on our campus and in our office. And it doesn't always have to be about heavy topics, right? We have, we, the other day we had a conversation about, we, we are a candy office. We're known across the campus as the candy <laughs> office. So a lot of people come in our office to, to hang out, a lot of students, a lot of faculty, and then they eat the candy. So we have these jelly beans, you know? And so the question was, well, how do you eat your belly beans? Do you just take jelly beans and take them all and take them in your mouth? Do you se- separate them by colors? Do you do it in a certain order, right? What is your implicit bias as it relates to jelly beans, okay? Even though that is a silly <laughs> kind of question, we, it digs into kind of let's learn more about ourselves. And then we can have those harder conversations that, okay, what does your ethnic or racial or socioeconomic status bring to this particular table? Um, so yeah, that that's kind of a funny topic, but you know, we, we do kind of mix the, the hard stuff with the fun stuff as well. You know, I think I'm a, I'm a one at a time jelly bean kind of guy. 
Yeah. <laughs> I am a group. I yeah. have to in and then take them plurally. Right? I, like to, I like to stay with the individual flavors. No, <laughs> exactly. no, I, I love that exercise. You know, it just it really allows people to reflect on them on themselves and how, how they approach things. And, you know, of course, that's a fun topic, but it really kind of opens opens a opens a window. It opens a window. That's really great. Exactly. You know, DEI and Jedi efforts are, are front of mind so for so many of us in our field these days, which I know you and I agree is a, a very mm-hmm. positive thing. Are there any specific training programs or resources that you would recommend for study abroad offices aiming to diversify their teams and their participants? Yeah. I mean, I think we have some really great stuff that's working on, as I mentioned, diversity abroad within our field, right? They're in the leaders and have been doing this work for a long time. And so I think it's important that people should kind of connect with what that organization is doing. I think obviously our, our associations are our NAFSAs and our um, the forum, um, some of their work, uh, things that are coming out of an international educator, I think are really important. I think also it's important to tap into, as I mentioned before, the partners on your campus and ask them what some resources are that are specific to um, those particular students. And I, I just think about you know, maybe the diversity office at the University of Alabama might look very different maybe than the diversity office, I don't know, at um, at a university in Minnesota, right? There's just different goals. There's different priorities. And so I think tapping into those and partnering with those organizations and asking them, um, hey, like what kind of information do you see out there? What kind of information is important that you're seeing one of the things that we're actually doing, and I, th- I think I mentioned it, um, we have a, a large effort with our first generation office on our campus, and they actually came to us and said, hey, kind of our professional organization is doing a, a webinar on study abroad. Do you think your advisors want to tap into? And we're like, oh, absolutely. So our, our two offices are going to partner over lunch and we're going to sit through a webinar kind of through their channels and in an organization that we didn't even know existed, right? Or hadn't just had our personal experience with that. So kind of back to the partnership, getting getting to know those experts and asking those experts and being open to that conversation. Hey, if there's anything that you think our office needs to know, be ha- share it. And we'll, we'll be happy to co- uh, communicate about that. You know, we've talked a lot about building the pipeline, um, you know, to, to, to ensure that our that our advising teams and, and our front-level staff, our entry-level staffs are diverse. Uh, and one of the topics I've been thinking about a lot lately is how so many young professionals in our field suffer from imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. And, and particularly the young women that I talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love your advice uh, and, uh, as someone who's a some, something of a badass leader in education abroad uh, on how um, younger professionals can and should advance in their careers. So I, I, I love... I love this because I literally had a conversation with somebody the other day in my office. It was a student worker who had kind of the same fears. And I, and I named it, I said, Oh honey, that's called the imposter syndrome. Um, and I deal with it too. Right. (laughs) She's like, what? And I'm like, yeah. And I always tell them, I always tell our student workers in our office, I said, I'm, you know, 43 years old and I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. Like Carolina, how is that? I'm like, because, this this idea that you have to like reach something, I think is is what that imposter syndrome, like I'm not enough to be in this space because I haven't reached something. And I like to kind of disarm people um, with that idea that like, hey, I deal with that too. But if you kind of flip that on the other end and 
think about, well, I want to just constantly learn. And if I know that I'm going to be a lifelong learner in the field of whatever I want to continue to learn in, then you don't have to feel like you have to reach something, right? Um, and I think mentorship is really important. I think being available to um, others or new in the field. I can't tell you how many times I have reached out or have been asked to reach out and have had conversations uh, with new people in the field. Our region, I'm a part of region um, seven. And I know they, they like are at our regionals, we do a, a really interesting mentorship program. I can't like, you just have to kind of connect. I promise you that that people who, you know, maybe us old folks who've been around for over 15 years would love to kind of impart our knowledge um, to others, but we're, we still deal with it too, right? <laughs> it doesn't go we, away. Yeah. <laughs> we, right, it doesn't go away. Yeah. We, we have all the, we, we don't have all the answers, but I like to say we do have a lot of questions um, and we do have a lot of experience and we might have a lot of advice. Because I always like to tell you, like, if, if there's something that I can do to make sure that you don't go through the hole that I had to, um, I'd love to share that information. So yeah, I think just not being afraid, not thinking that you have to reach something, being able to communicate and ask questions, right? It's important. In the context of diversifying our, of our, of our teams, why is mentorship important? Mentorship is important because you know, sometimes we make hard decisions and you want to make sure we are doing things that are changing people's lives. And also I I tell people in study abroad, like we convince students to do something that we don't have control of. A student is not coming on my study abroad program. They're going on a world strides program or they're going on a you know, faculty-led program, they're not necessarily going with me on an, on an organization or doing something that uh, I have control over. And so sometimes that can be heavy and sometimes that can be hard. And sometimes mentorship is important because you just need to have different thoughts or opinions uh, to make sure that you're not missing blind spots that are out there. I would really agree and believe that our SEC directors, like we, we, we have a de facto mentorship program there. Mm -hmm. Uh, During the pandemic, we were meeting on a monthly, if not biweekly basis. And it was hilarious, right? Part of it was like, Hey, how are you surviving? And then the other part was, Hey, you know, what are you telling your lawyers? What does, what are, what's coming out of, what, what kind of language do you have? Or how are you facing this problem? Or, you know, what would you do in this situation? And there, there isn't times where a week goes by and I'm not asking one of my fellow um, directors or colleagues, like, what would you do in this situation? So you don't have to do this alone. We have a very, an extremely collegial organization and like international education is all about sharing, right? All about being open and all about sharing. And so thinking you have to reinvent the wheel is actually not, not what actually happens in our field. Lastly, as we begin to wrap up here, Dr. Carolina Robinson, I just have one more question for you. As you contemplate studying abroad in 2024, what makes you hopeful? The students always make me hopeful. The students, um, as I mentioned before, 550, almost 550 students this past year 
had never left the United States. Um, and they, they trusted us to do so. And that still has me hopeful. I have had students who have never left the state of Alabama and trusted us and to, to send them to Jamaica, right. Or to, to Prague. And that continuously makes me hopeful starting, um, expanding our students' minds, being a part of their story. You know, when a professor comes to me and every time I'm stressed, he looks at me and he says, Hey, remember you're part of the thing that either students say that they regretted the most that they didn't study abroad in college, or it was the best experience they've ever had in college. And you have a hand in that. And I'm like, okay, I have a hand in that. And so he says, just remember that. Right. And that, that's the, the key that keeps me hopeful. I can't imagine a better place to end things than right there. Uh, Dr. Carolina Robinson, this was just a fun and uplifting conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode of Changing Lives Through Education Abroad. I'm your host, Zach McKinnis, and please make sure to join us next week as we continue to explore topics around international education and exchange. Thank you to my spectacular World Strides colleagues, Lindsay Kelcher and Sarah Kachuba, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Please subscribe to Changing Lives Through Education Abroad on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And share with your friends and colleagues. Let's create life-changing moments together. <laughs>